0: I'm Stephanie Cox, and this is Mobile Matters. Today, I'm joined by Scott Brinker at HubSpot. Scott is the VP of Platform at HubSpot, editor of ChiefMartech.com, and the program chair at the Martech Conference. He's basically the go-to for anything you need to know about the intersection of marketing, technology, and management. He is also the brains behind the Martech Landscape Graphic that comes out each year and provides an overview of all the Martech software available. In this episode, Scott and I talk a lot about the latest trends of sharing your tech stack on LinkedIn and why you shouldn't immediately adopt the same tech as everyone else. Why you need to make sure that 20% of the technology you're using is actually for experimenting with new things. And how the customer journey mapping we've all done might actually be hindering us in our efforts. And make sure you stick around to the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways so that you can not only think about mobile differently, but implement it effectively. Welcome to the show, Scott. So you have a really long career in marketing and tech. Can you tell me a little bit about how you got started?
1: Wow. Well, uh back in the days when there were horses and buggies. Um <laughs> <laughs> So I, I I'd say I actually got into it uh you know uh, in like the dot com era. I was uh, running the technology team of a web development agency. Uh, We did some work for some fairly large brands, uh, and it was fascinating. You know, we'd always get hired by the marketing department, but then because it was my team that would actually be the folks building this, We got volunteered to then go and talk to the IT department at that company because the marketing department and the IT department wouldn't actually talk directly to each other. Whatever Uh, do you mean? (laughs) So, uh, yeah, that fascinating dynamic is what started me down this journey of like, oh, this this could be really intriguing. How did these two get married?
0: No, that's it's funny that you say that because I always joke about how in a lot of organizations, especially as you get, you know, in the mid-market space and definitely in enterprise marketing and IT had this like love-hate relationship. We want to work together. We have totally different priorities, totally conflicting goals. A lot of times marketers want things fast. And now, and IT wants to, I think rightfully so in a lot of cases, spend the time, you know, what they believe is building it the right way and doing it the right way. And I'm just like, well, why can't I just do it now?
1: <laughs> no, it's exactly right. It's like, you know, IT has a certain set of incentives, you know, and uh, and they're good incentives, but yeah, they are a very different set of incentives than what marketing is being held accountable for. And so, you know, we're getting better at connecting the dots between them, but wow, there were a few years in there where it was like, you know, <laughs> just completely tower of Babel type scenario. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I can say that I probably in my career have asked for forgiveness a couple of times with IT than permission.
1: That tends to be, uh, <laughs> I've seen that pattern elsewhere. <laughs> what else are you going to do?
0: So one of the things that I see a lot on places like LinkedIn is marketers talking about what's in their tech stack. So these posts are always generating a ton of buzz because we're always looking for that tech that's really going to help us you know dramatically improve our results. But it's kind of hard to figure out, you know, what should your tech stack look like? Because there's so many options out there today. So how should marketers be evaluating technology?
1: You know, I actually just have to pause for a moment. And like, isn't it kind of weird or wild that like marketers are putting together these tech stacks and sharing them publicly? I mean, don't get me wrong. I love it. I find it fascinating. But I remember at one of the first conferences where I you know, saw a marketer like, put up a slide of, hey, these are all the technologies we're using and how put together. And the whole audience of other marketers were like, oh, wrapped. Like, oh, my goodness, that's so cool. I'm like, wow, this, I would not have predicted that. So, uh, all right, uh, sorry, to answer your question, how, how, t- how should they go about evaluating this? I think the challenge I find is there are two different kinds of technology uh, and we really want to manage them very differently. There's technology that is really fundamental to the operations of what we're doing. Uh, you know, I mean, like, uh, you know, things like CRM, you know, our website, CMS, uh, marketing automation, uh, depending on, you know, if we're using some separate tool for like, uh, social media monitoring and management, you know, and these are things that, um, you're going to have a lot of people in the organization using, there's going to be, uh, you You develop a lot of organizational capital around them. And so you want to go through the process of deciding which vendors you go with and how it's going to work with the rest of the tools in your stack very carefully versus there's another set of technology that is, to me, more in that experimental up and coming Pilot programs, sort of thing. I mean, there's just so much innovation that's happening out there. And while the thing with these two different categories is, like, for the first one, that's exactly where I tell people, you know, the try and resist the shiny object. You know, you know the Tom Fishburne, Marki is he has that cartoon where it's, you know, it's like, look, squirrel. You know, for this 80% of what we're doing, we want to sort of narrow our focus, avoid the shiny objects, and just really focus on, you know, what are good foundational systems we can use. But if we ignore everything else, we miss out on these new trends that are coming out. Like, I mean, we miss out on, hey, well, actually, more and more customers want to use chatbots as a way to interface with us here. Or do we have a voice skill in Alexa? You know, or are we, you know, what's our presence in Instagram versus, you know, what we had been doing in Facebook? It's like you need about 20% of the, you know, investment in marketing technology to, to sort of be experimenting with those new trends just so you don't miss out on opportunities.
0: I really like that idea of like almost of an 80-20 rule, but thinking about it differently than we normally do. You know, 80% of my tech stack needs to be stuff that's really like a, almost essential to running my business every day. And then 20% is the stuff that I'm kind of honestly like testing out, playing around with, trying to figure out if it's going to work for my business. Is it going to work for how consumers are changing? Is it something I should be doing? And I I think that's something that people are missing when they start sharing all of these different pictures of, you know, their tech stacks. When you're talking about like at a conference and people put up, you know, like a slide, I don't know if this is your experience or not. It's been mine. Everyone gets their phones out and they're like taking a photo. And I bet every single company <laughs> on that slide then gets like all these inbounds that are like, you know, I, I, so-and-so is using you. I need to know what they're doing, what you're doing. How, what does it cost? And to your point around sh- sh- shiny objects is it doesn't always make sense to chase the shiny object that someone else has.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's, um, I mean, technology is, I was just having this conversation with someone else, um, you know, it is definitely one of these things where it is a tool. And, uh, you know, I mean, there's almost no technology you find in the marketing space that you just plug in and it magically starts, you know, generating customers and happy customer experiences for you. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, when you look at the tools a particular company is using, really you're only seeing like a tiny sliver of like what's actually happening there. What you don't get there is that sense of, okay, well, how are they actually, how have they actually incorporated this uh, you know, into the customer experience, into the way they're delivering, you know, uh, marketing programs, uh, you know, managing these different touch points? Uh and yeah, if you just sort of chase after the tool without <laughs> that context, uh, yeah, you plug it in and well, wait a second, I didn't magically turn into a Procter and Gamble. What happened here?
0: That's interesting that you say that because my next question for you was around, you know, how do you think about this intersection between marketing and technology? Technology can help us, but at the same time, you have to have like a strategy behind it. You have to have some thought. You have to have people, right? Technology doesn't typically, in a lot of cases, run itself completely. Although I would love to get to that scenario you talked about where we just turn it on and customers just come in.
1: Yep. Avanish Kalshik, uh, uh, the guy who writes uh, the Occam's Razor blog. He's like a uh, man for like years here. He's been like a web analytics advocate. He had this thing that he was promoting of the ninety ten, uh I think he called it 90 rule where he's like, listen, companies should be investing 90% of their budget uh into their people and their talent, you know, for how they use this stuff and 10% into the tools uh you know that they give people to you know to use and you know, we could argue over <laughs> where exactly that split should be. But I think ratio wise, he's like right on the money. You know, I mean, there's a lot of great tools out there They enable us to do things now that like 10 years ago, we couldn't have even dreamed of. Imagine they're wonderful, you know, but they are they are tools. Uh, and in the absence of really investing in developing uh, the talent, the organizational capital, uh, one of the reasons I, and uh, for my blog and uh, the conference, I always talk about the intersection of not just marketing and technology, but the intersection of marketing, technology, and management is because very often I find, well, it's not even just about learning how to use a tool. It's like, do we change the way we run marketing uh in order to take advantage of what this new technology can do. And like a great examples. Like if you have a technology that you know lets people do more experimentation, more A-B testing of all right, well we can A B test all these different landing pages, or we can A B test different emails or you know offers or all this stuff. Wow, that's incredibly powerful. But if the organization has had a structure where, okay, well, anytime somebody wants to run a test, they have to go through, you know, these three different people who are going to prove that, and you know, this folks are going to verify that, and so that this bottleneck is, well, in theory, the technology could let you be running, you know, like hundreds of tests in parallel. But the way in which you manage marketing is like no, you'll run about maybe one test a month. You know, so it's it's finding ways to like yeah, change the uh, the, the management uh, around that technology as much as the marketing.
0: So in that example, you know, I was I immediately thought of growth hacking, kind of that concept that's come up and has been really popular these days. You start to see people in marketing departments have the title of like growth or growth hacking. How do you know when something should kind of have a new role within marketing and when it's a flash in the pan concept?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's so much changing in the world today that... You know, this this is a broader, you know, innovation challenge that companies have, and you know they often wrestle like, oh, should we have an innovation group, an innovation team, an innovation lab, and all the new experimental stuff happens with that group, and meanwhile, everyone else just sort of keeps their heads down and you know just uh, you know get it done the way we've always got it done. And I've always leaned in the other direction. I kind of feel like there's so much changing so rapidly that if you don't find a way to build some innovation opportunities into everyone's job, you know, you, you, you create this real us versus them, uh, you know, structure that just causes an organization to calcify. And so, yeah, I think, uh, you, 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 you know one of the things we i advocate a lot is uh, this idea of agile marketing using these sort of agile management approaches in the context of the marketing department you know one of the things i like about that is when you run these agile teams that are having i don't know 2 week 3 week 4 week sprints one of the things that you've always got going on is you've got this backlog of interesting ideas or things that people, whether they're in marketing or outside of marketing, sort of put forward and say, hey, would this be possible? Or, you know, what about trying this or that? You know, And that every two to three or four weeks, whenever these sprints come to an end and you're starting the next one, you go through this prioritization process where everyone who participates in that gets a chance to sort of look Hey, out of all these things, you know, what do we think is the highest value that we'd be able to do now based on what we know, you know, to get that into that next sprint, you know, run it through, start to see how, you know, uh, what the reaction to that is, you know, and that the next sprint you can decide, oh, well, do we want to continue more of that or "Mm, no, we tried a little bit. We don't think this is a direction worth pursuing. Let's find something else that's, you know, higher value. It's like sort of just building that ability to evolve, that ability to change into the very operating system of the marketing department itself. I I think that's where the real opportunity is.
0: Do you find that when you talk to marketers, that's really hard for them because they're so ingrained in the kind of like my day-to-day. My day-to-day is I need to manage social. I don't have time to to really carve out, you know, and to be part of an agile sprint for two weeks and focus on a couple of innovative ideas.
1: Yeah, well, again, this is where I think management has to change. Um, you know, if, if marketing management does not structure things in a way to allow the organization to change and evolve and adapt as they go along, you know, that's really on them. You know, and again, it's, it's not about saying that. Uh, (laughs) you know, well, it's all new stuff all the time, you know, even within, you know, sprints, uh, you know, this idea of saying, listen, you know, whatever it is, you know, half of the day is spent just Friggin' answering email, you know, and we've got these current, you know, existing project commitments or, you know, ongoing campaign commitments that we've allocated this amount of time for each week, you know, it's fine, like lay it all out, you know, and if it ends up that, hey, actually only like 10% or 20% of our time for a given sprint is, you know, in doing new things to help move the business forward, to help it adapt and keep uh, uh, advancing, That's fine, whatever it is, but it's like at least you start to build it into the system uh, and it's done in a way that uh, there's, there's a transparency to it, that everyone can sort of hold each other accountable. Like, you know, are we just doing the same thing we've been doing month over month over month over month? Which, hey, if it's working great and it's beautiful and just numbers are up and to the right, God bless you. But for most of us, yeah, that isn't the case. So we need to find some sort of way to like keep pushing the envelope.
0: Or if it is the case and your numbers are up, up and up, at some point they won't be, right? So you've got to be thinking about what's next.
1: Yes. <laughs> Fair enough. But they just keep going up and to the right for what you're doing, by all means. <laughs> by all means keep it <laughs> Milk it for all it's worth.
0: So let's talk citizen developers. Um, for those of you listening to the podcast that are unfamiliar, citizen developers is really a term I, I know I first heard from Gartner. And they've been using it a lot to convey someone in the business that really takes on a role that allows them to create some sort of digital experience. So they're not a traditional developer, really at all. I like to think of them sometimes really as like almost like a marketing technologist, someone who is in digital marketing, that has the ability to work in whether that's like CRM system, some sort of email, social media program, they're making changes to your website, etc. That's how I've at least been thinking about them. I know, Scott, you recently wrote a blog post about citizen developers. So can you tell me about how you're thinking about them and the role they'll play in the future?
1: Yeah, this is one of the topics I am most fascinated with these days. Uh And to me, it's not even just citizen developers. It's really citizen blank, you know, like uh, citizen integrators, like the people who are using tools like Zapier to, you know, oh, I want to take the data from, you know, this cloud service here and pipe it over here and then maybe trigger this message in Slack. I mean, this this notion of integrating different pieces of software in the cloud, right? That long ago, you're like, okay, well, we're going to need some sort of enterprise architect from IT to come put that all together. And now, like, you sign up for Zapier, half of it's free. You just, like, say, oh, yeah, I want to take this thing coming out of WordPress, and I want to throw it over here to HubSpot, or I want to trigger this other thing off in, you know, like a Google spreadsheet. That is amazing. Uh We see this with citizen data analysts. You know, I mean, everything like tools like... um I mean, well, Google Data Studio, uh, you know, Tableau of uh, where, you know, you don't have to be a data scientist, a hardcore data scientist to be able to take these data sets and just as a business user, as a marketer, be like, you know, I've got some questions of, you know, how is this comparing against this? Or what sort of interesting pattern can I see about, you know, the, the, the way people are responding to a particular campaign over time? And, um, this, this whole movement of saying these technologies, are changing or, or, or democratizing who in the organization gets to gets to make things happen you know can i just do this myself can i self service you know myself here for hey i need this little app or i need this little integration or i need this little piece of data analysis you know versus we're not too long ago you're like oh well if i need this there's some expert who does that, and they've got a long line of people who are waiting <laughs> to get their thing done. And so give me a ticket in the deli line, and I'll, you know, wait my turn, and maybe a month from now, I'll hear from them. Talk about just a movement that is changing just qualitatively the speed uh, of business. Um, yeah, I think this whole citizen developer movement is uh, game changing.
0: So, one of the things I personally I love the concept of it. I don't love the term citizen developer, though. I wish there was something else we could call it because immediately people are like, oh, they're developers. I'm like, no, they don't probably code at all.
1: Yeah. And then when people hear the citizen developer stuff, half of them are like, oh, you mean like this is some sort of open government thing? And uh, no, 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 I don't mean that.
0: Earlier, you mentioned how fast technology is changing. So how do businesses keep up with how fast technology changes, trying to figure out what they should be using to innovate, you know, that 20% you were talking about, while at the same time knowing that a lot of businesses just move slower by nature?
1: One of the things uh, I think we we have to be comfortable with is there is more changing in the world every day than any business any one person can like ever hope to keep track of and so you have to be able to narrow your scope to okay what are the things that really are relevant uh, to my business you know and the thing that i think marketing wants to pay super close attention to is the purchasing behaviors of our customers you know as they start to change like you know hey how are customers finding us? How are customers going through an evaluation process to decide to buy us or not buy us? How once people actually do decide to buy, how does that purchase process work? What do they expect post-purchase you know, from a uh, service experience perspective in order to be happy and not to churn? It's like marketing wants to find ways to have really close attention to, you know, patterns of uh, identifying patterns of when those behaviors are changing, because those are the sort of technologies that then we have to be able to, uh, uh, you know, be able to bring into our business and adapt to them. Uh, And like a great example would be a, you know, like right now, you know, the stuff with chatbots or even like these voice assistants, like voice assistants may not be relevant to your business. Uh, and that's fine. If like you're keeping your pulse on what, you know, your customer, your target audience does, and voice assistants are just not a behavior that they're using and how they engage with, uh, you know, uh, your particular category, fine, that's great. But if they are and you don't have some sort of mechanism for, hmm, we're starting to actually it turns out about 15% of our customers would like to be buying this way from us. But because we're not there and we're not even thinking about this, this upstart competitor who is now like, oh, well, I'll use this channel to reach this audience uh, is, uh, you know, uh, yeah, uh, basically creeping up behind us. Um, those are the sort of things you just want to get really good at being able to detect uh, those behavior patterns as early as possible.
0: One of the things as marketers that we kind of struggle with, I think, sometimes is this balance between creating these highly personalized experiences for consumers, or at least in the B2B space, right? We talk a lot about you know, the idea of like account-based marketing, and making it really personalized, but then also trying to balance that with the resources we have and automate things from a tech perspective. So how would you recommend that we try and handle that ongoing struggle?
1: I think we want to be careful with leaping to the assumption that personalization is actually what customers want uh because in a lot of cases you know what customers want is an easier better buying experience that isn't necessarily about personalization so much as there are these you know, uh, all these other possible friction points, you know, like, hey, when I'm trying to get an answer to question X, how easy is it for me to find the answer to that? You know, is it just automatically there on the website? Can I go to a chatbot? Can I, you know, ask the question? If I ask the question on the chatbot, does the chatbot actually come back with an answer? Does a human being come on with an answer? Do I have to wait in the queue for, like, you know, 50 other people in front of me to get that answer? It's like there's so many of these things that, like, impact... The the happiness uh, and ultimately the lifetime value uh, of customers that I, I guess I just want to make sh- my advice is usually to make sure that, you know, the set of technologies or tactics that we think of as personalization, that they're in the context of the full suite of possible ways we could improve the customer experience uh, and that more personalization for our business may not actually be the biggest lever to move the needle.
0: I love that you said that because it reminds me of recently when I bought some software. I had already talked to a lot of people. I knew what type of software I was buying. I had looked at a couple of options. I had asked some trusted friends that I knew were already using different vendors, and I had made a decision without honestly ever talking to that company. So I, you know, went to their website, submitted an inbound requests, and asked really for pricing, and they wanted to set me up with. initial call and then a demo. And I'm like, I just want to know how much it costs. (laughs) How much are you going to charge me? I would like to give you money now. And it was just to your point, it was interesting because they weren't making it easy for me to buy from them. And I was already ready to buy. And I think that's one of the things that content and the internet really has allowed us to do in the last, especially the like five to 10 years, is a lot of research by consumers, whether that's you know B2C or B2B, is done before they ever talk to you.
1: Yeah. You know, it's actually, it's funny. It's almost like in some ways this becomes a casualty uh, of what was supposed to be a good thing, right? This idea of customer journey mapping. Uh, of like, hey, listen, we want to map out the customer journey and make sure that we're serving them appropriately at the different stages, hey, all with the right intentions. But all too often I've seen, yeah, companies that they create these journey maps and they're like, okay, well, this is the process. you know. And it's one thing to dictate process to how people inside your company are going to work. But essentially once you start getting a mode of like, okay, this is going to be the process and anyone who wants to buy from us is going to have to follow this process. you know, It's like, ah, really? I can't just give you money. <laughs> right, please, please, please just take my money. <laughs> just think about that for a moment.
0: <laughs> well, that's the same vendor I, I did end up buying from them. And I, one of the things that, like on our kickoff call, they're like walking me through the kickoff process. And I'm like, I've already logged in. I've already set half of this stuff up. I have like three questions. Can you just help me with the three questions that I couldn't figure out how to do myself? I'm like ready. I'm ready to use your software. I don't need a 90-day kickoff process.
1: Yeah, and meanwhile they're sending you these emails that you know maybe have targeted case studies or little news stories that they've decided are personalized. You know, oh well, because of your segment and because of your industry, and oh yeah, so we're we're giving you a personalized customer experience. Meanwhile, like yeah, okay, you're gonna follow our structure on this, this, this other thing.
0: it's interesting. I've been part of like those customer journey exercises at both you know midsize and enterprise organizations in my career, and we all you know you map them out, and there's so many touch points. And now when I think about it, I'm like, that's not how consumers buy anymore. That's not how I buy either, you know, as a marketer or as a person. The journey I take a lot of times reminds me of like a ball of like tied up yarn. And as you unravel it, it's like there's knots, there's twists and turns, you, you know, or maybe the first time you ride Space Mountain at Disney, you don't know what's coming. <laughs> it's in the dark.
1: <laughs> that's an excellent metaphor. I'm going to use that. <laughs>
0: But I think that's what I—I I think that's what's so exciting to me about marketing today is there's, you know, there's so many different ways your customers can find you and interact with you, and how do you make sure that process is seamless and easy and relevant to them to what they need when they need it, not what you want to give them when you want to give it to them. One of the things that I know you're really well known for is the Martech landscape super graphic. That I think started back in what. 2011 with 150 companies and last year was over 6,000. So how did that idea come about?
1: Yeah, (laughs) that's crazy how that thing has grown. Um, so I was giving a presentation to a group of marketing executives at a conference uh, in 2011. I was trying to convince them, actually, to hire a marketing technologist. That you know you don't want to just be relying on T- on IT. You want to have someone in the marketing team who can really be helping you take the most advantage of technology. And the whole reason I'm putting that slide together was just trying to make the argument of like. Look at how much technology has infiltrated marketing. I mean, there's hardly a single facet, you know, of what a a CMO, even in 2011, was responsible for that didn't have some sort of significant tool making it happen. Whether it was with the website or with advertising or social or with customer records or email marketing. And so, yeah, you have been laying those all out and it was uh, like 150 at the time. It's like... Actually, 150 was a huge number. I mean, I, like, I don't think any of us like really realized. Like, oh my God, there's a lot of technology. How
0: will we ever keep track of 150 tools? <laughs> I know. And then now I'm like, there's like what 6,700 last year. I'm like, I'm kind of afraid to find out how many there are this year.
1: You're not the only one. <laughs> Try assembling the the actual graphic there. People keep saying, you know, that this whole industry is gonna consolidate. And I'm like, when's Lord? When's gonna be my time?
0: <laughs> right. Well, and it's interesting, you've seen, you know, I think bits and pieces over the last especially five years, where like people there starts to be consolidation, but then it's like, oh, but there's a new segment now that just popped up and Now there's 20 players in that. And now this is no longer this. It's called something else. And I'm just like, this is probably why people, when they share their tech stack, everyone's like, just tell me what you're doing.
1: Yeah. And the truth is, um, it's bigger than marketing. Like, I now see this in accounting. I see it in HR. I certainly see it in sales tech. It's just this, you know, the cloud uh, and super cheap infrastructure and open source software and all these sort of things. It's basically gone to a place where anyone, and I mean... Anyone in the world can, like, create a software product and make it available. And in in some cases, you know, it's going to be junk. But actually, in a number of cases, people come up with kind of novel and interesting things. And us being, you know, marketers that are always looking for, you know, novel ways to, you know, reach an audience or, you know, have a relationship with customers that, you know, our competitors haven't. You know, we buy this stuff. And so, yeah, you you get to a place where, you know, I mean, there's the major players and they're relatively stable and they're the ones who are, you know, primarily consolidating. But you get out into the long tail of innovation and experimentation out there. And, yeah, I don't see any end in sight.
0: So how did you start MarTech Conference? Because I know that's a big thing that you're responsible for as well.
1: So we had been running the blog... Uh it started in two thousand eight, uh and then by twenty fourteen I mean it was when we started in two thousand eight, it's like, you know, a few dozen people who like I think identified as like, oh yeah, I'm a marketing technologist. Uh most people were like, Wow, I've never heard a bigger oxymoron than marketing technologist. <laughs> you know, but by twenty fourteen something had really tipped. You know, that was the year uh, the number of vendors we were tracking, like across the 1,000 mark, uh, you know, you're finding more and more organizations that were truly hiring technology people into the marketing department. And so we launched the conference with the idea of helping to bring that community together, the people who are actually uh, the marketing technologists, the people running those marketing ops teams, and to a certain extent, the uh, vice presidents of marketing or the CMOs above that who... They're not the technologists themselves, but they now have to start to think about how do they incorporate that capability into their organization? How do they manage that as a part of their organization? So we've been doing it for five years. We've got our uh, next event coming up here uh, in the Bay Area, April uh, three through five. And uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it.
0: I thoroughly enjoyed my conversation with Scott. He's a wealth of knowledge about how marketers should think about using technology in their business. And I just really love chatting with him about the role of marketing and IT and how these groups play together, or I guess maybe don't play together. When I talk to other marketers, I often hear that same story, and I've been in that situation, about how frustrating it is to work with IT departments. So what do we do? We tend to ask for forgiveness rather than permission. And then sometimes we even think about how to actively get around IT and try not to involve them in projects that honestly they probably should be involved in. Now on the flip side, if I look at it from IT's perspective, they're feeling the same type of frustration, but for different reasons. They don't love being the group that everyone in the organization despises. And a lot of times it's not their fault. They have a lot of responsibilities that range from keeping up internal systems to doing all of these specific projects for each of the internal stakeholders that they have. Now, I personally might be notorious for asking for forgiveness rather than permission so I can get things done and move fast, but I really want all of us as marketers to be more understanding of our IT colleagues and all of their challenges. At the end of the day, we're all on the same side. Now let's get to my favorite part of the show where we take the education and apply it to your business. There's so many great insights from my conversation with Scott that can really help transform how you think about mobile marketing and just marketing in general. Let's dive into my top three takeaways. First, I need all of us to agree to stop posting pictures on LinkedIn of our tech stack or in presentations. Just stop people. And the reason why is we're not providing context on how we're actually using that software or why. And so what I find is other marketers see a successful company's tech stack and then they immediately wanna start emulating it and adopting each piece of technology, assuming that it will drive the same results as that successful company. But what they don't see is what it takes to make that tech work for the business because people aren't sharing that information. So if we truly wanna help out our fellow marketers, then we need to share more about what we're using, why we're using it and how we're using it. But only sharing the logos, what it does is it sends the wrong message that the software is what makes our marketing successful, when it's really the strategy behind the, how the software is being used along with the actual people implementing it. So let's look at a personal example for me. One piece of software in my tech stack is Vidyard, and it's been extremely helpful in account-based marketing efforts for Lumivate. If that's all I share with other marketers, then they're going to assume that if they implement Vidyard, they'll see similar results. What they don't realize is that Vidyard is how I bring my personalized video strategy to life. And without that strategy and process in place, I wouldn't be seeing the same results that I do now. And trust me, I get it. Sometimes you don't want to share your secret sauce of how marketing is working at your company. It's easier just to share a beautiful graphic of a ton of logos and it can be seen as a competitive edge that you have in your industry or it makes you unique as a marketer. And if that's the case, then just don't share anything which that means don't post on LinkedIn an image of your tech stack and don't include it in a presentation at the next tech conference that you go to. It's not helpful, everyone. Now, if you really want to give back to your fellow marketers, then take the time to truly share how tech is helping you achieve your business goals. You don't have to share how every piece of tech stack works and your strategy behind it, but pick one and share the details. This will be so much more helpful to other marketers than seeing another tech stack logo graphic in their newsfeed. Next, let's talk marketing management. Has your company really transformed how marketing is managed in the last two, or three years, or even let's say five to 10? So many companies out there today are still using the same management style for their marketing teams that they've been using for probably the last decade. Even though technology has completely changed the marketing landscape, and it's up to all of us, regardless of whether or not you're a marketing leader or just an individual contributor to make sure we're tweaking how we think about managing our marketing efforts to take advantage of these challenges and opportunities that technology brings us. So what do I mean by this? For starters, how fast can you actually move? And when I mean fast, I'm not thinking about something that takes six weeks to do. I'm thinking, can you come up with an idea on a Monday morning and have it launched by end of day? Or does that require numerous meetings, a project timeline? Now, people, I'm not talking about a complex project like a website or something like that. I'm talking about something like spinning up a landing page or launching a new digital ad campaign. Now, if your answer is it takes me numerous meetings and a project timeline, it's time to change. We live in a digital world where consumer behavior is constantly changing and technology has made it easier for us to quickly spin up things like digital ads, landing pages, email promotions, and more. So there's absolutely no reason why we shouldn't be taking advantage of those tools to be able to execute initiatives faster and test out new ideas. For some companies, a lot of people gravitate to the idea of agile marketing, and it works really well for them. And if you're not familiar with agile marketing, it allows you to really plan out these two to three week sprints based off of a lot of how development teams work, where everyone on the team is focused on the same seven initiatives and trying to accomplish them from start to finish within a specific timeframe. And usually it's that two to three week sprint. Now, if committing to this type of approach sounds a bit scary and it's too much of a big jump from where you're at, take a baby step. Take one small project, and I'm talking small, and try to finish it in a single day. That means from the moment you start working on it to when it's done, it takes less than a day. This is gonna allow you to find opportunities to quickly test out new ideas and learn to fail fast. And that's gonna bring me to my next topic, which is really important of how we think about managing marketing moving forward. We all need to be okay with some level of failure. I'm not talking about like utter failure where everything goes off the rails completely. I'm talking about how it's okay to test out a new idea and have it fail. We need our teams to know that we don't expect perfection from them. We want them to try new things and move quickly. And sometimes their swings aren't going to be home runs. And that's okay. We need to create a culture of moving fast and this willingness to take risk. No great marketing campaign was ever born out of someone playing it safe. Finally, Scott brought up a really interesting point about how the customer journey might actually be causing us not to deliver an effective and easy purchase process to our customers. And let me tell you, everyone, it really got me thinking about what that means and the impact it could have on our marketing strategy. Because honestly, the more I think about it, he's completely right. For years, customer journey mapping was an extremely hot topic. There was tons of presentations on it across almost every conference you would see, both in marketing and in customer experience. It's a hot topic on LinkedIn and publications, and almost every marketer I know was either actively doing it or talking about how they actually needed to do it. Now, I don't know how many marketers actually implemented a customer journey mapping exercise because they often are very overwhelming to tackle, especially if you're a mid-sized or enterprise organization. But regardless, customer journey mapping was all about identifying all these various touch points a customer might have with your brand and the flow of how they would go honestly, from one touch point to the next. And the end result would be a customer journey map that was designed in a variety of ways based on what made the most sense for your business. I've seen them that are linear, in a circle, infinity loop, and other countless ways, right? That's how it was presented visually. And so after you mapped out your customer journey, you would identify ways to improve the process. And it was all about making it easier really to get from one touch point to the next. But the customer journey really isn't that simple anymore. Take a look at the recent software buying example I mentioned earlier. I didn't even talk to the company until I was ready to buy, and I wanted to skip right to pricing and an order form. I just really wanted to find out how much does this cost and can you take my money? But it wasn't that simple, and I don't think there's a customer journey that actually has that path, and that's why we need to start thinking about the customer journey and how it can't maybe be effectively mapped out today, because it's kind of like riding Space Mountain at Disney World for the first time. So if you've never rode Space Mountain, you may not get this reference, but it's a roller coaster and you have no idea what's coming and it's in the dark. So you literally can't see what's coming next. And sometimes you have to go down a hill, sometimes around a curve, other times you're going up the hill again. And it's kind of exciting and terrifying all at the same time. And it's our job as marketers to make sure that no matter what a customer does in their journey with our brand, we're always making it easy and fast for them to make a purchase. And we're providing them with what they need to use the product immediately after their purchase. And maybe that's how we should be thinking about the customer journey. Not necessarily as this list of touch points and how you get from one stage to the next, but how do I make every aspect of my entire customer journey simple and easy to buy for me or simple and easy to engage with me? Now, here's my mobile marketing challenge for the week. If you haven't done it already, you need to make a list of all the tech that you're using in your marketing efforts and categorize it based on whether or not it's critical to your marketing strategy. So like Scott mentioned, is that 80% that's really business critical? Then you're going to realize how large your tech stack actually is and whether or not there's actually tech software on there that you don't even use anymore. So this is a great time to get out all of your contracts to figure out what you're actually paying for. Now, this is where the fun part comes in, at least for me. If 20% of that tech stack currently isn't comprised of technology that allows you to experiment with new ideas and new ways of doing things for your business, it's time to go find some, which means it's time to go shopping people. Now, you shouldn't expect any of these new technologies that you find to derive an immediate business impact, right? We're testing things out, so we don't know what's going to happen. But what you can find is that some of them are going to be extremely valuable. And at some point, they're probably going to become part of that 80% that's critical to your business. So, go out there, have some fun shopping for some new tech. There's some great products out there that I think can be really beneficial to a lot of organizations. I'm Stephanie Cox, and you've been listening to Mobile Matters. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Until then, be sure to visit Limivate.com and subscribe to get more access to thought leaders, best practices, and all things mobile.